Hi, how's it going? I'm Walter Talents from Philam Creative, and this is my lovely co-host, Arlene De La Pena. Hello, hello, hello. Coming to you straight from LA, historic Filipino town. Uh, we are here at uh, PWC, or the Filipino Workers Center, uh, an organization that uh, helps out immigrant uh, domestic workers and uh, fighting for their rights and labor rights. So. Uh, very thankful for to be here, right? Yes, and also shout out to Philam Creative. What? what? <laughs> Philam Creative is an organization that uh, helps Filipino Americans who are in the creative field, whether they're actors, graphic designers, uh, fashion photographers, you name it, we have them. So, um, and Philam Creative's in, uh, purpose is basically to just give awareness to to people that Filipino Americans are creative uh, individuals, and we are in the Hollywood industry trying to make a difference um, and uh, like what's your experience with Philam Creative and like doing projects with them? Oh it's been huge I feel like anytime anybody's come up with an idea of whether it's a short film a podcast or um, various other uh, platforms we say we're gonna do it and we actually make it happen fairly quickly too. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Philam Creatives, basically, we, we create programs. We have, like, actors panels, writers panel. Uh, we have um, Hollow Hollow Headshots, basically uh, a program where we put together photographers with actors or professionals uh, and give them affordable headshots because uh, headshots are expensive, right? Oh, and by the way, yes, I still need to get my headshots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, we need to arrange that because uh, because headshots are very pricey and it's expensive. And it's kind of like uh, a hurdle that actors or new actors need to uh, get through, and it's it's uh, it's a nice piece of change. And Philam Creative basically tries to um, get people shorten that, like lower that barrier, so we can get our Filipino American actors or Asian American actors. There's definitely a lot more opportunities uh, that. Or that present itself through Film Creative, whether it's just uh, you know meeting with some of the big studios and their diversity programs uh, to feature films, short films, music videos. Definitely, and uh, t today's guest writers is, groups. Uh, yes, and speaking of studios, like uh, we have our guest today is a studio executive, and she's uh, one of like the biggest supporters of Film Creative. My personal experience with her she's been so helpful in helping me um create some of the panels that I've had like for my writer's panel she was such an MVP and like helping hooking me up with some of these talented writers um that are Filipino Americans and it was such a great success the, the last year's writer's panel and I couldn't have done it without Grace uh Grace Barrera Moss and she's with uh, NBC, and we're gonna bring her out later, and uh, in a few minutes, and uh, she's gonna tell us all about her story and her journey into being a big boss. Really, that's what that's what it comes down to. Um, and uh, like, how about you? Like, have you? Did you get to do the NBC when we went to visit NBC Studios? I sure did. How was that? How did it? It was eye opening. You know. Um, as somebody who uh, you know has only been in LA for a few years, I had no idea that there were these types of programs that uh, up-and-coming artists can um, join into and uh, compete with, and huge opportunities and uh, a lot of access to resources. And Grace uh, was was very gracious enough to. Uh, give Philam Creative that opportunity to go to NBC Universal and uh, you know do this whole presentation of of the different types of programs that they have. So I'm really excited that she's here today, so we can 
talk more about her life, how she got started, mm-hmm. what's going on, latest and greatest with Grace Moss. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because I know, you know, and I think you have something in common with her aside from being a woman and in, in the industry, but being a mother too. And like, I would really like to talk to her about being a parent and, um, and how to balance that. I know some of the actors I've met um, just are just trying to figure out like, how to be a parent in Hollywood too. So it's oh gosh, that struggle is real, guys. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's a different beast. You know, you're not just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about your family, your children. You know, I mean, pets. You know, spouses. All of that combined, <laughs> and then just trying to juggle, um, you know, your career and everyday life. So, yeah. All right. Well, that'll be good. When we get back, we'll uh, we'll have Grace Barrero Moss out here, and uh, she will share her stories with us. So, give us a second with these uh, with these uh, messages from our sponsors and uh, Philam Creative and PwC, and uh, we'll get right back to you. Today's episode brought to you by the good folks at Filipino Workers Center. From the heart of historic Filipino town, PwC focuses on providing programs that help meet the immediate needs of workers and their families while at the same time building their leadership to take collective action for long-lasting change. Our thanks to PwC for letting us shoot at their wonderful facility. And we are back. Uh, You guys are watching Phil Am Creative's podcast, Voices. Voices. Yes. (laughs) We are here with uh, Grace Barrera-Moss, and uh, she is from NBC. And uh, Grace is the Director of Talent Development and Inclusion for uh, NBC Entertainment. So she's kind of a big deal, guys. She brings the diversity out. That's yeah. right. She brings the color. No, <laughs> but you know, literally, you do bring out the color for NBC. You know, like because you are the person to try to uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like promote. Uh, Say it, say it. Well, non-white talent <laughs> in the TV industry and basically NBC. So thank you for doing that. Like, yeah, it's it's my pleasure. And you know, we there's a small group of us, and we are all very dedicated to finding these emerging storytellers and creatives who have been undiscovered and historically haven't had access to the network. And so our job is to go and find them at festivals and conferences and through our programs and bring them into the fold at NBC. Um, And, you know, if they just happen to be diverse, that's great, but it's always talent first, diversity second. Um, And, you know, our team is very, very just passionate and we love what we do and we're we're lucky to, that we were able to do it every day. How long has NBC had that specific program in place? So we have over 20 programs, um, some that we facilitate ourselves, like Writers on the Verge or our short film festival, and some where we partner with other organizations like um, CAPE, which is Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, or ESOS Players. Um, But I would say we've been around for over 10 years. I know our film festival, for instance, um, has been around, I want to say, 13 or 14 years now. So this department has been around before diversity was a buzzword. Um, We've been doing this work for over a decade. And I think it's just now, you know, we're starting to get recognized and people are starting to take us more seriously and really um, looking at the talent that we're bringing forth, which is great. 
Now, how long have you been in this position? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So I have been in this role for um, going into my fifth year. And before that, I was at the Style Network, which is also a Comcast company. And I was there for about seven years. Wow. So yeah, I'm going into my 12th year at Comcast NBC. Now, uh, when you got this position, I mean, like, and I, I knew you got promoted, but I was like, when I finally went to visit you in your office, I'm like, dang, dang, girl, <laughs> you got a balcony. <laughs> like, that's how big deal she is. She has a balcony in her office. Like, we're we're very lucky to have that to have that space, and it's definitely more space than I need. Um, yeah, her, but yeah, it's been a long time coming. Her office is the size of some people's apartments. You know, that's what, that's that's all I gotta say. <laughs> I can move. Can I can I rent the yeah, couch? Yeah, come hang out. <laughs> but I mean, um, when you got that uh, that position, like w when you got in there, like what did what was your goal? Like how did you feel? Like you know, like what was your agenda? Like well, I have to say, coming to NBC was definitely something. I I honestly couldn't believe it when I first got the offer. I had come from. Um, a very small network, which I loved, um, you know, style, I learned so much, but it was one of those networks where people didn't know what shows we had, they didn't even know if they had the style network. Um, and so to come to a network like NBC, where everybody knows and we have such juggernaut shows like, uh, you know, This Is Us and The Voice and um, to come to a network. And I remember going to, into our first, my first primetime meeting, and they were just throwing around all these, these uh, show names like it was nothing like oh the blacklist da 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 or Chicago PD da 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 I was like oh my god you know because I come from uh you know a network where maybe we were talking about like Ruby or Jerseylicious which were great shows but many people hadn't heard of them so coming into NBC to such a big network on the scripted side especially was um, a big change uh, I had primarily worked in reality. Um, for most of my career. And so to cross over to the scripted side was definitely um, new and exciting and definitely a challenge. But I was just, I felt felt honored to be there. Now, was yeah. that something that you sought out to step away from reality and go to scripted? The opportunity came to me, it was very circuitous, right? So should I go into my backstory now? Yeah, yeah okay, cool. <laughs> yes, tell us. So I knew that I wanted to work in the media, and I knew that I wanted to help the my community, the Asian American community. And so I essentially start got my start as an intern at MTV in Santa Monica. And so this was during the reality boom of the early 2000s. And so I was in that production freelance world for several years, um, which was a lot of fun. And I really learned how to make a show. And I learned like how a crew works and call sheets and make all that happen. And it was great. But being a freelancer, I wanted something more stable, right? You know, I want to know where my next paycheck's going to be coming from. I wanted benefits and insurance. And so this opportunity at the Style Network opened up, and they were specifically looking for somebody with production experience. And so I left a great, um, well-paying job at MTV as a producer-director to start as a development coordinator um, because I knew that even though this was a step back, it would ultimately lead to more sort of stability and permanence 
And I wanted to be on the network side anyways. I knew I wanted to move in that direction. And so I, you know, worked at Style as a coordinator, worked my way up to development executive. And there I really learned the lay of the land of how TV works um, in terms of development. So I learned how to make a show. And now I got to see how a network works in terms of taking pitches and development and doing pilots and presentations and the the different um, sort of things you have to take into consideration when you pick up a, a show, whether it's marketing or the demo or the casting. Um, and so that was a really great experience. And then the Style Network had folded. But before that, I was really active with the Asian Pacific American Employee Resource Group. Um, and I just found that I was enjoying doing the diversity work so much, whether it's putting together events or um, hearing from other other um, guest speakers. I was just eating up all that insight and I just was feeling very connected to it. And so this opportunity at NBC had opened up and I had met with Julianne Cromit, who was my predecessor, um, and she was leaving to go to another company and just literally called me and was like, hey, I heard that, you know, style is gone and that you're looking and I know you wanted to get into diversity. Would you consider stepping into this role? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> like, sign me up right now. And so that's how that transition happened. And I think it's such a dream role for me because I get to utilize my production experience in terms of putting together events and panels and facilitating our, um, you know, our presence at different conferences conferences and festivals, and then obviously my development background of storytelling and, you know, building characters and story arcs, and then obviously just my passion for diversity being a person of color and a woman of color myself. It's something that I feel has been very important to me, and um, I get to, to do that in the media. So it's just this great intersection. It's so well needed, too. Yeah. So, so well needed, because, yeah. you know, growing up, I mean, I, I feel like you know, you didn't really see a lot of Filipino Americans, Asian yeah. Americans on uh, television and movies, um, definitely not in lead roles. Oh, absolutely. You know? And I was asked, um, you know, recently if I had any mentors or who my mentor was growing up in, in this in this industry. And I had to think about it. And I was like, oh, I've, I didn't have a mentor. You know, there wasn't anybody that looked like me at the senior level. Um, that was a key decision maker that I could identify with either, um, you know, specifically as an Asian American woman until more recently where I'm, you know, able to network with a lot of colleagues who are doing this, this type of work. So I definitely feel that it's something that's lacking. And I yeah. think, you know, orgs like this and doing podcasts like this is helpful for the community just to hear other people's stories. Yeah. And, and what I love about you is the fact that, you know, you've made it to this level of an executive and you still continue to give back. And I, again, I really appreciate you for even like when you helped me for the writers panel and finding me such talented writers and artists. Um, you know, you're so in there and you you give back to the community. And I really appreciate that. And and again, we talk about like Phil Am creatives and like all the actors and, th and things like that. But um, people like yourself who are executives and or, in you know, behind the scenes in the studio level, like you guys are just as important too and then you know it's important that they you know people do give back some way or another you know and uh, and there i've been in situations where I like i was like oh wow you're this i, I didn't even know they had a 
Filipino American or Asian American in the executive executive level, but it's because they're either so down low about it or they're only like very niche organization who they help or organize with. Well, I feel like our department is really unique because um, I think there there's five of us currently and three of the five are Filipinas and we're all moms too. And I think I never thought I would be working in, in this industry at a place where like I was in the majority, you know, at least in this department I am. And to have that sort of um, comfort and that sort of safe space to work and feel supported just makes makes us work even better and even harder. So I think there's a lot to be said about having, you know, a community to support you within, you know, within your workplace. And I think this is just an example of that. And how do you balance that family life, you know, having a son, a young son with that and a family? How do you, what have your, your struggles been and how did you overcome that? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that makes that sort of quote unquote balance possible is having uh, the support of my boss, who's a mother herself. Um, and she is has given me the flexibility to leave work every day at five so I can make it home to do the whole bedtime routine. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about, which takes hours. It's not just like eat and then go to bed. Yes. It's literally a multi-hour Ugh. process. Kids get really thirsty right before they thirsty, have to go to sleep. Or they poop right before, <laughs> like something always happens right before before they actually have to like lie down. <laughs> and so I think having the support of my boss to say, hey, you know, b- when I got back from maternity leave, I said, um, you know, I'm gonna have to leave every day at five mm-hmm. so I can be there to do this part of my life. Um, and I think, and I tell her this every time I have my review that to have that flexibility um, just makes me work even harder because I know, you know, okay, I gotta make sure I get all this done by the time I leave. Um, and I'm just more focused, or if I need to do stuff on the weekends, I make sure to just stay on top of it because I'm, I'm not one to take that for granted because I know that's very rare. So having her support, and then also, again, you know, two of my coworkers are also moms, and it's, you know, it's helpful to have other parents to, to be there just to vent about whatever the obstacle is for this chapter of their you know of raising them so for instance now it's um just discipline he says no to everything and um you know and then I know there'll be something else in a couple months from now but it's always changing um I think that and obviously having a husband who's down to help and take take a lot of the um you know the carry a lot of the weight when I'm traveling because I do travel for work a lot is helpful and then having parents around my parents are maybe half an hour from our place so they've been amazing um so it's really about having a village right a support system um to to just be able to help with all that stuff yeah that struggle is definitely yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i guess uh and i mean as a person i don't have kids i can only imagine like hearing the stories because that like you said i was gonna I was gonna ask you, but you kind of answered my question, which is like, how rare is that to have a supportive office or boss that's like, because I know back in the days that was a struggle, like even getting women to have maternity leave or even uh, like being able to come back to a job after giving yeah. pregnancy. There's some places that that's difficult, right? Yes, and NBC is definitely their whole, um, 
maternity leave package and the HR, the resources that they offer, whether it's like Bright Horizons, backup care, you know, they have a daycare um, on on the lot. Um, yeah, which I, I, I don't use, but you know, there's a long waiting list, but they have that available for those who are able to use it. Um, it's just an, a tremendous support system. And I think it's because it's such a big company that they're able to do that. And I know smaller companies um, can't, or there are folks who just don't see um, place importance on that, which is unfortunate. And I but, think it um, comes yeah. down to leadership too, because, um, you know, in, in whatever setting, uh, whatever your career path is, if you are a working mom, working parent, you have to consider childcare, which a lot of people don't realize that, especially in LA, you want yeah. the good childcare. Oh my God. One, you have to it's pay gonna, for it. it's gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to give up a kidney. Yes. <laughs> uh, average is like two G's a month. You know, yeah. it's it's really really expensive, and then. Um, getting on a wait list. Oh my God, the wait list. It's, it's months. It could yeah. be months. It could be years. And so, and then what do you do? Then you try to rely on everybody else. And it, you're mm -hmm. right. It absolutely takes a whole village because, yeah. you know, if, if your child gets sick, you have to drop everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be able to communicate with, yeah. you know, your leadership and they have to be very understanding because if they want, um, if they want quality employees, Right, they have to support. Yeah, uh, their their folks. Yeah. Now, um, as women, do you guys feel like this is uh, it's unique to the film industry, or do you, or from your experience or stories from people, like is this something that happens even like in you know, whatever in other industry, tech, coal mining, I don't know, whatever. You know, well, it's all industries, you right. know. It's like uh, no matter if you're like a nurse to a producer, just being a mom is universal. I think our industry is maybe a little bit more lenient. I don't know, maybe just because we're not clocking in and out every day. So for our office, um, we have that flexibility to come and go as emergencies arise. I don't know. What, what do you feel? Uh, it's, I think as an actress, people don't, <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit more cutthroat, you know? Um, yeah. People try to be as accommodating as possible, but you have to come up with a bunch of contingency plans. So, mm -hmm. um, it, and I feel like as a professional, right, you should have a bunch of contingency plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the military, I felt very well supported. Mm -hmm. Um by everyone. I, I have had bosses where they did not care if your child was sick, you mm. will work. Mm. And, uh, you know, and those people were removed. The bosses who acted like that were removed because that's not helpful and that's it's not, not conducive, conducive yeah. right, right, to a healthy working environment. Because uh, when you are a parent, I mean, gosh, like your time oh is <laughs> like, to get to get a child their teeth brushed, you know, getting them ready for school to leave on time. It takes literally like way more hours than anybody imagines. Wow. And so I think like, you know, as your child gets older, you kind of get used to, uh, okay, this is what needs to get done. And, uh, and then you know who you can and can't rely on mm -hmm. and you just have to plan, yeah. you know, like, oh, we, we, were, we were talking earlier that, you know, we like, we're early birds. Yes. Because no one's up yet. Yes. <laughs> it's so much it's fun. You can get, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can I get everything done. I got up at like done. 6.45 today so I could curl my hair and do my makeup before. Because once he's up, right. then forget it. You have to do breakfast and then get right. him changed. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting because I was listening to a podcast um, and they were saying that there was an expert on, they were talking about marriage. And they said once you have a child, that 
takes up, they try to quantify it. I think that adds an additional 33 and a half hours per week Ooh. to your life of just, just specifically yeah. for them outside of work and taking Probably care of yourself. That. So it's, it's insane. Yeah. Cause you really, I mean, they become your number one priority, obviously. So, mm-hmm. well, speaking of childhood too, like, I mean, about your, how about your childhood yeah. like growing up? Like, uh, well, first tell us like, where'd you grow up and then how did you want or have the need to get into the entertainment industry. Sure. So I actually grew up in a very diverse um, neighborhood. I grew up uh, in Diamond Bar, California, which had a big Filipino community as well. And we had like uh, Pistas and I on every summer. And (laughs) I I was in a Filipino dance troupe called Maharlika in high school. So I was doing Tinnakling since like eighth grade. Um, So I was very much immersed in the Filipino community Mm -hmm. already and then which was great and then I um went to UCLA which -hmm. also has a very big Filipino community yes go Bruins (laughs) and I was active with Samahang Filipino Mm -hmm. did PCN all four years I was on the board um and I I think I was called um like ethnocentric at one at one point by one of the (laughs) like somebody that lived down the hall in my dorm because I was so Filipino and I had t-shirts and stickers on my door, um, which I didn't even like understand. Did you um, have Panay tribe? Yeah. <laughs> and what's, so there's another, um, uh, gosh, what was, there's another Filipino brand, um, Pinoy something. Oh, uh, uh uh, downright Pinoy. Downright Pinoy, yes. Downright Pinoy had the t-shirts, had the stickers, sweatshirts. Y'all were dating ourselves right now. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I heard. I heard about it. <laughs> I mean, you're like 50, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was very active with Samahong, and I was uh, a little sis for um, the... Who you adding program? Yes. Yeah. T- uh, Theta Delta Beta, AJ Calame, who I know is a guest. Yeah was my big bro and we still stay connected. Um, So I think, you know, it's interesting because I was, you know, grew up in Diamond Bar, went to UCLA. I had never really felt outside like the other, Mm -hmm. you know, until I entered the industry. And then that's that's when I was really like, okay, this is (laughs) what it's like to sort of be on on the outside looking in. Um, Welcome to Arlene's childhood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I feel like once I started working at MTV, I think I was just so excited um, just to be like on the ground and making television and seeing, you know, the real world actually happening. Um, I almost auditioned. Oh, I auditioned. I sent in, <laughs> I sent in a, a VHS tape for real world, I think, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, because they were shooting Hawaii at the time. So this totally dates me. Yes, this was like late 90s. Um, awesome. I literally like saw, shot a v, VHS of myself um, to get onto uh, real world New Orleans. Like, um, I know. Like, <laughs> I yes, I applied show. when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was like, yeah, I wasn't even 18 yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think I wanted to work in the industry. It was totally random, actually. I, I was initially going to become a journalist. Mm. So I knew I wanted to Is do that media. What you Is that your major I studied English and minored in Asian American studies. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, this will just give me a good background in writing. Um, and literally, it was my last quarter at UCLA, and I was walking by Ackerman Grand Ballroom, and they had this big like line around the, around the building for their entertainment networking night. Oh. I was like, oh, what's this? 
And so I ended up just like going and then in the ballroom they had like 60 tables with a representative from different companies. And so I was at this one guy's table, Buzz Chapman, I remember, he was an editor at MTV. And I sat at his table from six to nine while others were just sort of going to other tables. And I just heard him tell his story multiple times and I decided that's what I'm gonna do. So he ended up um, interning post UCLA at MTV and then becoming a PA and then just following that trajectory. So I did the exact same thing. After I graduated from UCLA, I um, interned at MTV in development. And then after, I think two months, I got hired as a PA mm. for a new stunt show called Census Acts of Video, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then that just sort of, that's how my career got started in production. So yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, just even preparing for that, like uh, looking back now, like what would your advice be for uh, whether they're film students in UCLA or just in high school, whatever? Like how would you tell them to prepare for something like working for MTV or equivalent? I would say, and I got this piece of advice from my internship super intern supervisor, was if, if there isn't work, create work. So when I was an intern in development, they didn't really know what to do with me. So um, I would every like few hours, I'd come out to his desk. He had a cube because he was an assistant to an executive. I was like, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to do? And then there wasn't. So I would go back to my table, my, to my desk in the tape library and just start uh, alphabetizing the tapes. I would just distribute faxes. I would, you know, make popcorn in the kitchen for, for you know, snacks for everybody. Um, and I think that really sort of symbolizes the idea of um, just making yourself stand out by being one step ahead of everybody and like working whether there's not, whether there's work to be done or not you know, and just being proactive. Because, you know, there are hundreds of people that would have taken that internship from me happily and would like work their butt off. And I think that's something that I've always tried to do um, in every role I've had is like, how can I um, make myself stand out? And how can I be one step ahead of everybody and just, um, you know, be ahead of the game? And it's all really about hustling, right? Especially as a person of color, you need to be well more sort of um, prepared and qualified than like another white person. So I think that's something that I learned early on. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's yeah. true. I mean, your yeah. hustle must be strong. Yes, strong <laughs> hustle game. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. I mean, aside from being a person of color, but being a woman, yeah. like you have to work twice as hard, maybe three For or four sure. times as hard than you know, a, a white male would. And yeah. I mean, some people might disagree with that, but I mean, as a woman of color, you yeah. can attest to that. I Absolutely, say. and I think be specifically being an Asian American uh, woman, I know, and I've had, you know, supervisors tell me this, that I am not authoritative enough, or oh, I, I need, you know, that. so that whole idea of the more passive, reserved, Asian American, also female, so she must be even more of a doormat. And I know I've got passed over for jobs or promotions because I was deemed too too quiet or not aggressive enough, 
which is unfortunate. And I think for this industry, you know, they folks feel that they need somebody who's going to be in your face and very um, authoritative to make things happen. And I think it's sort of, you know, those things were all sort of against me. Yeah. And then, and then if you are aggressive and then all of a sudden you're a dragon lady yes, or something like for that, sure. like it's, it's a double edged sword. Absolutely. Right? It's yeah, it sucks. And I mean, um, how knowing that, like, I mean, for you personally, how did you balance that yourself? Like just because you seem you're very self-aware. So like, did you feel yeah. like you had to ever give in to any of that kind of pressure where people are trying to change you know, who you are at your core? Yeah, I definitely. um, I mean, I'm still trying to grapple with that. I think my personality by nature is not necessarily the sort of big, loud center of attention type. But I I heard, you know, as I, I love professional development workshops and all that stuff, and they say the best thing you can do is not try to... Um, <clears throat> enhance your weakness, but rather embrace your strengths. So that's how I my approach to work is. I know what I'm really good at, and I like focus on that. And you know what I can work on. I'm still trying to improve, but I'm not trying to be something I'm not. So I know that there are um, other great leaders out there who have similar sort of work styles and personality a personality like mine and I see that they can do great things so I just know that okay I can get there and continue to grow and still be myself without not being somebody I'm not and just really utilizing my strengths so that's what I do yeah and I think you know just and that's in every single type of working environment where you know if you're not true to yourself things are not going to go your way in the military so it's weird so my civilian friends, when I was in the military, they're like, oh, my God, you're so hardcore. And I would look just like this, right? And then, like, in the military, they're like, oh, my God, you're so girly. And so I was never, like, quite, you know, in in whatever. I was always this in-between person. And I would have bosses very early on in my career as an officer tell me that I needed to be more androgynous. Mm. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even change that. Yeah, it was just very, like, upfront talks. And I'm just yeah. like wow, do I really need to change? And um, and I had great mentorship uh, while I was in the military, and they always told me, like, you know, you can get your point across without ever yelling. Yeah. You can get your point across and be productive without ever compromising who you yeah. are because the moment that you compromise yourself, people will know that yeah. you're fake. Yes. And then you've lost all uh, respect and all trust from whoever you're working with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people need to believe in you as a leader. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you... You do you, Grace. <laughs> you Thank you. <laughs> you are. Don't let them change you. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. Especially now that you are, um, you know, in, in such a like a high level and high exposure position too. Like, in your eyes or in your opinion, like what what kind of content do you look for personally when you review material or see works? I mean, I think it depends on what it is, but I think just. In general, I'm looking for a really unique point of view. I'm looking for something that is, say if I'm reading writers, Mm -hmm. you know, just for staffing or for writers on the verge, you know, I want something that will like stand out in my head, especially because so many scripts come across my desk and I'm just trying to identify those that I want to put 
for staffing that I think have a really unique perspective. Um, I don't want anything that's very safe or generic or pedestrian. So I'm looking for either really unique concepts or really um, sort of bold characters. Uh, in terms of directors, again, I think the same thing applies, just a really unique look to their reel, um, whether it's from cinematography to how they shoot, um, you know, the way a shot is blocked, um, to, you know, the performances of the actors. You know, I'm just, I'm looking for technical ability. I'm looking for um, a really memorable story and em an emotional response, whether it's a drama or if I'm reading a comedy, I want to laugh out loud. And if I'm not, then I'll usually pass on it. Um, you know, there are uh, some, you know, scripts that I've read in the past where I can totally tell you the storyline right now, you know, because it was just so random and it just like stuck with me. It's so vivid. And I think that's what you want to have. You want to create that calling card that agents or executives will remember you by like, oh, that was the comedy where this couple lived inside James Harden's beard or something like <laughs> which is a real script or you know the 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 drama about the mom who sold drugs with her daughter so that they can get by mm. you know like those those i think are the ones that really stand out for me so what i'm getting from you is like actually content and technical ability not ass kissing ability oh yeah yeah <laughs> for sure i mean ass kissing helps too <laughs> No, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> um, no, no, for sure. Right. Well, because here's the thing. As, like, the diversity group, right, we're putting forth this talent. And if they're not at the, you know, top of their class, if they're, um, you know, if there's any question of their talent, that's going to sort of smear the work. Not smear, but... You know, we want yeah. to put our best talent forward because if they, the executives or the shows don't have a good um, sort of response or reaction to their work, then it's like, oh, it's because they're the diversity person, yeah. right? You don't want to give them the excuse to reject yes. that applicant or that person. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I think the talent that come forth from our program are even more talented than say just coming across from like agents or managers i do have a question that i had asked aj yes uh, when he was here with us uh especially because you know you're born and bred you know here in southern california ucla all yeah. of that looking back uh because i feel like everybody especially at ucla everybody like knows each other you know yeah. people all the filipino americans know who each other are within the entertainment industry yeah. Looking back, do you feel like you could tell who was really going to make it? Uh, or were, are you surprised of who made it to where or who um, took a step back Yeah, from back then? Well, I would say, because I'm trying to think of who I knew in college that I knew was pursuing this 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 path, and that was AJ. And I knew my TA um, for Asian Am 101, who was Randall Park. Oh. And so, yeah. So I would say Randall, I for sure he had that something, right? He was doing Lapu, the coyote that cares when I was in school and he was acting and, you know, he had that look. I mean, he's obviously attractive and very stylish. And so when I saw him like doing Wild and Out on MTV, 
you know, and then doing, um, you know, shorts for a short film festival to landing fresh off the boat. I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm not surprised that he's who he is. And he still continues to give back, which is amazing. And he's such a nice guy. And I'm glad that he kept that with him. Um, And AJ, too, I feel like we were both around MTV the same time. Um, You know, he was starting off as like working in post and assistant editing. And I'm, you know, the fact that he was on Mr. Robot is amazing. And I feel like I'm not surprised at all that he's doing what he's doing now and continuing to make stuff, I think, with like Lumpia. And Mm -hmm. um, so clearly that's something that he's been passionate about that he continues to work on even in his off time. So. And I mean, uh, talking about like uh, everyone in the careers progressing, like how do you see the, the diversity progressing in Hollywood? Like how does moving forward, how do you see it in like three to five years? Yeah. Well, I think there's definitely improvement, right? I think even just with example, you know, Coco, obviously an amazing win for the Latino community. Black Panther, obviously an amazing win for the black community. Crazy Rich um, Crazy Rich Asians coming out, I think, this summer. You know, fingers crossed will also be um, a huge success. So I think there's progress, especially now that diversity is on the top of minds of all executives in TV and in features. Um, and I know that at least on the feature side for NBC, we also have a new department that has has started specifically to bring in more people of color. I think it's definitely um, on its way up, but I think it's there's still a lot of work to do, especially for the Asian American community. I think when there's a conversation about diversity, it's always it's typically like black or white, you know, and maybe Latinos. I feel that Asian Americans are rarely you know, part of that conversation or, um, you know, and that could be for a variety of factors. Um, You know, maybe we'll talk about this later of just growing up, you know, our parents didn't encourage us to pursue this industry, right? Um, You know, we're also sort of seen as being more reserved culturally and maybe not the right fit for this industry. And, um, you know, also the idea of of the the Pan-Asian, right? There's Filipino, which is different from Chinese, which is different from Thai. And so having that sort of unity amongst hundreds of different ethnicities within the Asian community can sometimes be difficult because we may not identify Mm -hmm. with, you know? Yeah, which, uh, and I, I do appreciate you bringing that point up because like I, I, I ran into an executive and I'm not going to say from where or who, but like, it was just, it was just funny because like when I introduced myself and then like, I told them about Phil, I'm creative and they're just like, why? Like, why are you going to, why are you creating another organization for Filipino? Why don't you just be part of this other, you know, big Bigger Asian, Asian right. groups uh-huh. uh, who, you know, who we work with and so they support us too. But it was just, I was like, I was honestly, I was kind of taken aback a bit. Like, and because I'm like, well, you know, it's like we're Filipinos. Like, yes, we're part of Asia, but it's we're kind of a unique uh, group in a yeah, sense. For sure. Which I'm not surprised. And, you know, there is an executive from a show who didn't realize Filipinos were Asian, um, you know, and this is like, you know, a, a big time executive. And mm-hmm. it's like, OK. We have a lot of work to do. Not not us, but there's a lot of learning that needs to happen within the, education the industry, system. the education system of, you know, they, they don't necessarily understand that. Yeah. We're, we're just so different, you know? Just curious of what did they think, Filipino, like, oh. where, where do they think it was in the world? Well, they didn't. I, they, I, 
I don't know if they had a specific place in mind, but they're, they were just like, oh, d- are Filipinos or Asian? And maybe they thought we we're, I don't know. South but, American? Yeah, or... I don't know. Latino, I don't know. Hawaiians? Hawaiian. It's like right next to Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of like blows my mind that, yeah, there's Do a you lot think that there will ever be a time where we have a full-on Filipino-American sitcom? I feel like, yeah, you know, with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's a huge win. Um, you know, and I grew up not too far from West Covina. Mm-hmm. So I claim I claim that show as well. You know, when I see it, I feel like that's Diamond Bar too. But I think a show like that, you know, having the Filipino Thanksgiving and Lea Salonga and um, I think people are being becoming more familiar with with Filipinos. Obviously, the Filipino food movement, more restaurants coming out. Um, you know, last year's best restaurant was a Filipino place in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, Bad Saint. Um, so I feel like we're 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 making we're infiltrating more, right? So it's just a matter of time. And I know folks like Renee Gube have, are developing ideas. Michael Golomko is working with Randall Park and Ali Wong. Um, so it, it's happening. It's just not, you know, it's, it's a process, obviously. And yeah, bringing that up, like what you personally, like what do you hope to see from minority writers even? Like what kind of content do you want to see from them? Like, or even Filipino-American writers? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I want to see a really good story, right? Like, um, I want to be captivated by the characters. I want to have a really strong arc, something, maybe something that's unpredictable. You know, like, that's why I think This Is Us is such a great show, right? You you see things you never saw coming. So I think, first and foremost, amazing story. I would love to see, to write, to have writers write about their culture, you know, and incorporate that into their writing. Um, we have a writer in Writers on the Verge who's Filipino, and she incorporated her sort of um, personal experience as like this badass gangster Pinoy chick into her drama script, and it just really makes a difference. And I think, you know, there's this whole idea of, um, you know, why can't I just be a writer versus like a Filipino writer, right? Or why does a character have to be like a black dad versus just a dad? Which is, you know, there there's definitely points to be made for that. But I think your your race and your culture fundamentally affects who you are, right? As 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 a person and as your character. And I think to discount that and take that away and just make them a generic sort of role or character just does a disservice. Um, Sterling K. Brown talks about how he was thankful to Dan Fogelman for specifically making his character like black um, versus like an, an actor, you know, an open, what's it called when they cast and it's all ethnically ambiguous. You see all ethnicities can apply, right? So he wrote it so that this character was specifically black. And it's like, yeah, we should have intentionally black or Latino or Filipino characters because that's who we are. And I'd, I would hate to strip that so that it's we're just sort of generic and maybe easier for the mainstream to understand. Yeah, and I feel like uh, that kind of came up in, in when they were in the writer, the Philadelphia Creative Writers panel. They were talking about, like, uh, I think, like, non-Asian or non-Filipino, like, in particular, basically white uh, white writers, 
uh, steer away from that just because they're afraid of, they get scared of the controversy. And it's kind of sad. And because I think part of it has to do with their lack of friends that are non white, you know, in a yeah. sense, some of them growing up out of town. And I think, you know, in a way, it's almost tragic too, because it's like you lose out on not only the food, mm-hmm. but uh, just you know, understanding culture and uh, demographics or just like understanding people in general, yeah. which is so kind of like important nowadays yeah. um but it's so interesting even like for the in the writers group too like uh, some of our writers they were like this the one filipino or asian american yeah. there and it's like i remember uh, i forgot who was saying it but they were just like yeah they're talking about a story and then it's like oh but it's an asian person or chinese or something chinese related and then they go they look at the filipino writer yeah. and it's like okay i guess i represent all of yeah. asia yeah <laughs> and i mean for that like how do you guys see trying to diversify even the writer's room like with your programs yeah well i think um you know i think something like that where they do look to the asian person like filipino person to know all things asian you know um Obviously, there's differences, but at least they're like looking for their feedback, you know, right? And just say, saying if like, hey, does that seem okay? Even though you're not maybe Chinese, but at least there's that familiarity with Asian culture. Um, in terms of specifically placing writers, like very different ethnic Asian writers into rooms, I think for us, we don't, I mean, that's not really something that we necessarily take into account. It's really just getting... Um, the best writer that makes sense for the room, you know? So, um, for instance, there is a show uh, like, uh, say, Queen of the South on USA, right? If they have needs, they, you know, sometimes they'll specify, hey, we're looking for Latino writers, or hey, we're just looking for a diverse writer, Um, then we'll send them over for sure. So I think for us, we're not really looking specifically at ethnicities for, you know, to to diversify writing yeah 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 Hmm, i think we just want to get the the best talent out there i mean they're all going to be diverse and a person of color um but we really go by by talent and what the what the showrunner wants you actually i just thought of something like uh someone asked me about these writing program once and they were just they kind of brought up a good point they were like well i'm a white female do i have just an equal amount of chance versus a gay female of color like and i didn't know how to answer that i was like yeah, yeah you know like it's like so what would you say to a person yeah. asking that question well i know for us our diverse staff writer initiative which is where we will pay for a diverse staff writer for up to three seasons um that applies to um ethnically diverse writers, right? So if it's a white woman, she doesn't necessarily um, get to get get that benefit. Um, we are actually working on developing something where alums of our program, Writers on the Verge, may be able to do that if, if it's a white woman, because we take all all groups in our program you don't have to be ethnically diverse so we've had some really talented writers white female writers who have come through that we 
think would do an amazing job on our shows. So there's talk about potentially using that initiative to cover them as well. And it sounds like good content is good content. You should have the best of the best, the cream mm-hmm. of the crop. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. she shouldn't, uh, the, the person I'm thinking of, like she shouldn't be discouraged because she's a white woman. She's, she should still apply because, one, she's a woman, right? Yeah, Underrepresented. for sure. Absolutely. Uh, demographic in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, and that representation is is such a big deal, especially for somebody who lived in predominantly Caucasian areas where I'm like one of three Filipinos in my class. Mm. Um, it, it's it's huge, you know, to be able to uh, you know hear that, especially with you know NBC is uh, doing their due diligence in trying to find these real stories because you know growing up, I mean, I didn't. Like, I remember watching The Debut. Yeah. That, like, oh, yeah. changed my life. I was an extra in that, <laughs> by the way. Yes. Which scene? You can Which see scene? me. So, like, they're at the high school, and I think they're doing a battle of the two hip-hop groups. And I think I'm sta- I'm the front, standing behind one of the the groups. We're going to so have to get that So, apparently, clip. you can see me um, sort of cheering them on. I'm yeah. find that clip now. <laughs> Which, I, I, perfect segue, because I was going to ask you, like, what, growing up, um, what was what would you say was the film that influenced you, um, either on a personal level or on a professional level? You know, was it or because it was a person of color, whatever? Like, what would you say inspired you growing up? If a film, I would have to say Dead Poet Society. Oh, I remember watching that in like my English honors class with Mr. Dumbridge, and <laughs> I and he was that character that Robin Williams was the very. Wow. Like, beard and very passionate and um was just I don't know he had that charisma about him right and I remember watching that movie and that's why I want that's what made me major in um English I you know love Shakespeare I love the romantics like that whole movie really inspired me to embrace my creative side no, that's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what programs are offered? Yeah, absolutely. Well, right now we've got um, a submission, our submission window open for a short film festival, which is an amazing festival that is the only one of its kind that's done by a network that really supports not just the filmmaker or not just the film, but the filmmaker itself. And we've had actually a handful of Filipinos come through, like Jess Merced, who did Hype Beasts um, <clears throat> last, and then last year we had a few more as well. But um, the submission window is open now through, I want to say, May 1st. You can submit a short of any genre, uh, anywhere from two to 20 minute max. Um, it can be uh, a pilot, it could be a webisode, a couple webisodes from web series. Um, Oh, Marie Jamora. She was a final. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. We we were really looking at her stuff last year as well for her the DJ one, um, which was really fantastic. Um, and so for this, we just ask again the time limit two to twenty, and that there's somebody diverse either in front of the camera as a lead or behind the camera as a writer, producer, director. Um, and then our program, Writers on the Verge, is going to be opening up May 1st through the 31st. So for those writers who want to break into the industry, um, you can submit a spec um, starting in May. And 
Yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah. And does it have to be any an NBC show? No, it doesn't have to be an NBC show. There's actually a list of over a hundred shows that you can choose from. The other fellowships also looked at it too, so you can use your spec for HBO, for Warner Brothers, for Sony's programs, so that we're all you know on the same page. Now we're gonna do our little lightning round. So we just want you to like the first answer that comes to your head. All right, we're gonna okay. ask you like four questions. All right. Okay. So the first one, what's your favorite Filipino? Food, uh, Ooh. with lots oh. of lemon, lots of palabok, calamansi. Yes. Oh, calamansi. Yes. <laughs> yes. Favorite uh, Filipino food spot in LA. Yes. LA. I would have to say, ah, uh, there's so many good ones. First one that comes to your head. Uh, first one. Uh, uh, most recent. Most recent, Lhasa. Oh, all right. Yes. What's the most recent book or movie or TV that you've ingested recently that's your favorite right now? Oh, I will say Ugly Delicious on Netflix. David Chang's oh, I, food yeah. show. Really good. I'm a foodie, too, so I will. I love all that stuff. And Oh, and can I add one more? Yeah. Because I just watched it this weekend. Um, Chris Rock's Tambourine Comedy mm. Special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. That. It's in my queue. Yes. <laughs> Watch and it. And who is your favorite Filipino creative or talent? Um, Nico Santos. Aww. And not because he's on NBC Superstore, <laughs> but because I just think he's been supportive of APA, and I know he's does he's a great comedian and improviser. So Nico Santos. And Nico Santos was actually in our actors panel and a supportive a uh, supporter of Philam Creative. Wonderful dude. Yes. And yeah, good choice. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and final question for this is uh, name. Off the top of your head, how many can you name that uh, graduated from your diversity program sure. that are Filipino American? Yes. All right. Well, we've got um, J.R. de Guzman, who's an amazing stand up comedian who won our Stand Up NBC initiative last year. Uh, we've got Leslie Ann Huff, who's a really hilarious uh, Filipina actor. Uh, she recently did the CBS showcase. She did our scene showcase a couple years ago. Rodney Toe, who also did our scene showcase. Uh, J.P. Sue, who's an alum of our Emerging Directing Program. Um, and Dennis Saldua, mm -hmm. who was on the writer's panel. Yeah. He's an alum of Writers on the Verge as well. Uh, those are just some, of the, some that pop to the top of my head. Well, again, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. So happy to be here. I'm a huge podcast fanatic, so this is Yay. so much fun. You'll have to come back. Yeah, I'd love to. You guys just did such a great job, so thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, and again, thank you so much for supporting Phil Lamb Creative and supporting my programs like uh, for Writers Panel. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done it without you. We yeah. will all continue to pay it forward. We just all have like you. to support each other, right? <laughs> it's that uh, buy a Nihon spirit, especially. Mm -hmm in this industry uh, it's all about relationships it's all about who you know um, you know no one is really going to read you meet you cast you if you if they don't know you you know prior so I think having this community is is great and it's all about support supporting each other so great so again thank you very much for coming and this is an episode of Philam Creatives podcast voices I'm Walter Talents and I'm Arlene De La Pena and join us next time. Thank you for watching. This episode of Philam Creative Voices podcast brought to you by the wonderful cast and crew. Director and producer Rodney Cujudo, producer and host Walter Talens, producer and host 
Arlene De La Pena, director of photography and producer Winston Fernando, cam op and sound and producer Charles Gray, production coordinator Sarnika Lim, stage director Angela Paviera, cam op and BTS Homer Dulu, cam op and PA Bernice Bernardo. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode.